Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 514 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack. Welcome into this short topics episode. We're glad to have you. And uh, before we start rolling with our short topics for tonight, we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves. Cheryl W5MOO is uh, still on extended vacation, I guess we'll call it at this point. But I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. So uh, on the heels of our episode about Dragon OS, we've just got a few short topics about amateur radio, about Linux and open source, and, uh, well, I would say an amalgam of the two, but we just sort of have a, a topic thrown in for Linux and the Hamshack tonight because there wasn't really much out there. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into them. We start off, as we always do, with amateur radio topics. And uh, I, I sort of did a, a read of these before, so hopefully this isn't too cold, but I'll go ahead and, and start the first one here. So the first one is two new Digipeding amateur radio satellites have been approved. This is good news, I guess, because I guess uh, there's a lot of satellites up in the air, but uh, not that many of them are still doing ham radio at this point. So, so there's always new ones going up, and here are a couple more. The IARU, International Amateur Radio Union, has coordinated two European Digipeding satellites that are scheduled to launch in the fall of 2023 at the Technical University of um, Kosice. Sure. I'm sure that's not even close. Uh, in, huh? <laughs> that's good enough. <laughs> well, that, that, little, that little S with the thing over it is probably pronounced like a V or something. But uh, <laughs> um, it's in Slovakia. The satellite Veronica, a 1U CubeSat, is scheduled for launch on a Falcon 9 launcher in the Transporter 9 mission on October 2023. Altogether, Veronica will provide AX.25 telemetry, a CW beacon, a digipeter, AX.25, and CW messages on special occasions for community engagement, experimental SSDV transmissions, SATNOGS integration, a decoder, and a dashboard. A downlink on 436.680 has been coordinated and will use 9K6, 9,600, 9K6, or is that a thing? What is that? (laughs) Sorry, I'm... I have no idea. 9K6GHRU AX65. Interesting. Must be 9600 baud or something like that. Yeah, I guess so. 9K6G3RUH AX.25 and a CW beacon. A SpaceX launch on the Transporter 9 mission will send the satellite to a 500 to 600 kilometer polar orbit. The Romanian Federation of Amateur Radio, FRR, or FR, is preparing the ROM 3 for launch in October or November 2023. ROM-3 is a 50 by 50 by 100 millimeter PicoSat with three missions and objectives. Its primary mission is to act as a digital amateur radio repeater. Its second mission is to transmit low-resolution SSDV images in a Gaussian frequency shift keying mode, or Jafuska, 
JFSK. (laughs) (laughs) Tertiary mission is to transmit a CW beacon that will help amateur radio operators detect the presence of the satellite and measure basic properties of the signal, such as its strength, fading due to spinning, and Doppler to measure speed. A downlink on 436.235 has been coordinated for 20 words per minute on CW, 500 bits per second Javuska telemetry, and 5 kilobits per second Javuska Sazistova. <laughs> GFSK SSDB. A SpaceX launch will send ROM 3 into a 500 kilometer polar orbit. There you go. Lots of totally I'm, a legit news source here. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Arl. I guess I guess we have to put some stock in the, the Arl. Yeah. The Arl. So lots of satellite goodness for you, for you satellite heads. And apparently that's pronounced Koshitsa. 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 Uh, about 500 <laughs> times. And yeah, it does sound like it, it does sound like that. Koshitsa. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask me i just i'm doing it off of wikipedia right right just like <laughs> yeah say it seven more times right <laughs> yeah i was like i had to play like a dozen times while you were reading that story it's like am i hearing that right is that, is that... <laughs> so like the the s of the thing on it is like it's a sh sound and then the ce is a is a tz like tz a sound you right know? so, so it's, a, it's literally yeah koshitsa <laughs> Right. All together now. <laughs> yes, yes, let's bring it. Bring it right. back, y'all. <laughs> All right. So from space to rails, what do we got? Yeah, so uh, this is uh, the cheap radio hack that disrupted Poland's railway system. Uh, on Friday and Saturday, more than 20 of Poland's trains carrying both freight and passengers were brought to a halt across the country through what Polish media and the BBC have described as a quote-unquote cyber attack. Uh, Polish intelligence services are investigating the sabotage incidents, which appear to have been carried out in support of Russia. Uh, the saboteurs reportedly intercepted First, the commands they used to stop the trains with the Russian national anthem, because, like, that's a great song, and uh, the parts of the speech by Russian President Vladimir Putin. I should have cut all this out because it's so stupid. <laughs> but as disruptive as the railway sabotage has been, on a closer inspection, the, the cyber attack doesn't seem to have involved any cyber at all, according to uh, Lukas whatever, uh, a Polish-speaking independent cybersecurity researcher in and consultant and author of the forthcoming book philosophy of Cybersecurity. of course this is selling a book as well i should have saw all this okay in fact the saboteurs appear to have sent a simple so-called radio stop commands via radio frequency to the trains they targeted uh, because the trains use a radio system that lacks encryption or authentication for those commands uh old 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 nick says Sorry, anyone with as little as I should probably put that in the uh, Wikipedia to <laughs> pronounce this word. Uh, anyone with as little as thirty dollars off the shelf radio equipment of off the shelf radio equipment can broadcast the command to Polish trains, sending a series of three acoustic tones at one hundred and fifty point one hundred megahertz that's a really weird way to say that 150 megahertz (laughs) and trigger their emergency stop function uh quote it's three tonal messages sent consecutively once the radio equipment receives it the locomotive goes to a halt Olgenik says, uh, pointing to a document outlining the train's different technical standards in European Union that describes the radio stop command used in the Polish system. In fact, Olgenik says the ability to send the command has been described in Polish radio and train forums and on YouTube for years. Everybody could do this, even teenagers trolling. <laughs> Sorry. 
The frequencies are known, the tones are known, and the equipment is cheap. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, I caught this story uh, from Wired, of all places. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was kind of, uh, since we generally throw a weird radio topic in here anyway, I thought this was kind of funny just because, uh, yeah, the equipment is cheap. It must be ham guys, right? You know, <laughs> Couldn't be, like, real people. It's just douchebags. Or lids, one or the other. Think, you uh, Darren summed up the article in, in one word there. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's definitely uh probably not a very sophisticated attack if you can watch how to do it on YouTube. Uh yeah. Yeah. Well you can you can learn a lot of things you shouldn't know on YouTube, so <laughs> uh anyway, yeah, that's a pretty funny story. So hopefully they've uh rectified that situation (laughs) (laughs) seems like a pretty uh yeah pretty serious flaw in the system (laughs) yeah all right so moving on we have a solar eclipse qso party 2023 and 2024 the solar eclipse qso party is an opportunity for amateur radio operators to operate during the october 2023 and april 2024 eclipses before during and after they pass over north america Using various modes, CW voice and digital two-way transmissions made during the Sukupa, S-E-Q-P, will contribute to scientific studies focused on the ionosphere's reaction to the eclipse. Is. The study should lead to a better understanding of the interactions between the sun, the ionosphere, and radio wave propagation. That research should benefit hams, professional broadcasters, satellite operators, and many other users of radio spectrum. So the official periods are October 14th, 1200 to 2200 UTC, and... April 8th, 1400 to 2400 UTC next year. The SEQPs both start a few hours before the eclipses begin. They're transited across the U.S. mainland, so baseline data can be gathered. Uh, not reading all the parenthetical stuff. They continue through the entire eclipse period in order to study how HF propagation is affected by the eclipse. Past experience suggests that ionospheric changes will be visible in the data. They conclude a few hours after the eclipse the eclipses transit so they did it singular up there and i noticed that (laughs) (laughs) he corrected one and they corrected the other so let's see how they do on the third and fourth uh beyond the u.s mainland in order to observe and study the after effects of the eclipses such as ionospheric recovery if any you do not have to operate the full seqp hour period though that would be most welcome if you only have an hour or two try to SEQP hour period? How about the entire period? Uh, If you only have an hour or two, try to schedule your operating when the eclipse path is nearest to your QTH. That will raise the odds that your signals will be affected by the eclipses. Eclipse paths can be seen at a link that will be in the show notes. And both that and the original story links will be there, of course. And this came from hamsci.org. That's this kind of yeah, yeah, they collected some data on that last, uh, well, the last, I think the last couple of eclipses, they kind of started doing stuff, but now they're, they're making a party out of it. So, you know, must be like, uh, you know, collect widgets or something like that. <laughs> you get a certificate. Party! You get yeah. points. Points! Points, man! There's points. points! And things to hang on the wall. That's what everybody wants. Yeah, so you turn on your, you know, your, your FT8 beacon. <laughs> and just walk away for a few hours and then uh, they'll have all the results it's all set all right well check that out like i said links will be in the show notes if you're interested in those events and uh, all the details of course will be linked there so check it out 
So that's amateur radio, or at least a few amateur radio topics for tonight. So let's move into some Linux and some open source. So what do we have first? Yeah, we have ZFS boot menu. Yeah, I get the one with Z. Sweet. A bootloader for the booting of the Linux on ZFS. Uh, ZFS boot menu is a bootloader that provides a powerful and flexible discovery, manipulation, and booting of Linux on ZFS. Originally inspired by the FreeBSD bootloader, ZFS boot menu leverages the features of modern open ZFS to allow uh, users to choose among the multiple boot environments, which may represent different versions of a Linux distribution, earlier snapshots of a common boot, or an entirely different distribution. Uh, multiple snapshots in a pre-boot environment, and for the adventurous user, even a bootstrap a setup. Uh, sorry, even bootstrap a system installation via ZFS RECV, which I have absolutely no idea what that is. <clears throat> in essence, ZFS boot menu is a small self-contained Linux system that knows how to find other Linux kernels and initRAMFS images within the ZFS file systems. When a suitable kernel and initRAMFS are identified. Uh, ZFS boot menu launches that kernel using the kexec command. <coughs> Sorry, I'm like still suffering from coming off the flu. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the story came to us. Uh, well, it's, it's not really a story, but it was a mention on OS News that, of course, uh, linked us to the, the documentation of uh, ZFS boot menu. And I know quite a few of you are interested in ZFS because we've talked about it in the past. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, FreeBSD has, 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 all the, has had all the love for uh, ZFS. Linux is still catching up on all of that. But uh, looks like this is kind of a, a nice, uh, nice utility to kind of live within the ZFS uh, file system ecosystem on your Linux box. Let's see if I can get the girls to shut up here before I continue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is uh, breaking the squelch, as, as it were. Um, a little so, bit. Yeah, Linux still seems to be fixated on uh, EXT and uh, ButterFS. Haven't really... I mean, it embraces the ZFS paradigm in the sense that you can install it on things, but by default, it's usually not uh, really an option. So, Especially not a bootable option, right? Yeah, yeah. It's more for like you can have like clustered file systems and proper journaling and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so I guess uh, we'll see how that goes. ZFS has been around for like eons, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. It's long. I mean, it came out at. Well, I mean, I started hearing about it after Riser, but of course, we're not supposed to talk about Riser anymore. Yeah, I can't right? really talk about Riser. That's very verboten. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really the file system that's verboten. It's the yeah, it's the person. <laughs> Need a new name for that, right? Yeah. Well, I, use, I think I use ButterFS on everything here, so I can't really uh, claim that. Any, but I did use Riser back then. But yeah, I don't think I ever really. Uh, yeah, I don't think I ever really messed with ZFS much. That sort of came from well, that came from BSD anyway, right? That was like sort of a Darwin thing, wasn't that like kind of a fork of um of like uh, HF H what HPFS. Uh, see, maybe my recollection of the origin of ZFS is wrong. I thought ZFS came out of like the Sundays. I thought it was, mm, I don't know. I thought it was back that far or may, or maybe something from the sun era led to ZFS. It's quite possible. I'm stupid. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It did come from sun microsystems in 2001. So yeah, this is a, came from Solaris days. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, it had a lot of great features back then, and I think it was only the people who were running Solaris that were sort of on the uptake then. But then they discovered, like, oh, this is really uh, 
good file system. Maybe we should continue to use it. So. Oh, jeez. Did you see what Ted just wrote? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, we're not going to read that. Sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, that's not making it into the show, Ted, as good as it is. Uh, anyway... So, moving on, what are we going to talk about now? We're going to talk about Bodhi Linux. We've talked about Bodhi Linux before, so we'll talk about it some more. Bodhi Linux 7 brings enlightenment to Ubuntu. Oh, wow, we haven't heard about the enlightenment desktop environment for a while. Yeah. Bodhi Linux 7.0 is the latest release of one of the oldest Ubuntu-based distros with one of the more unusual desktops. The latest version is based on Ubuntu 22.04 with the Moksha desktop, which is a fork of Enlightenment 17. There is a choice of four editions, three 64-bit ones and one 32-bit edition, which is still based on Ubuntu 18.04. The last Ubuntu LTS, which supported x86.32. The 64-bit editions differ chiefly in the kernel they use. You can have either the basic Ubuntu Jammy 5.15 or the current HWE version with kernel 6.2 for those or for those with shiny, very new kit, an S76 edition with the latest kernel 6.4. It's Ubuntu, but not as we know it. Ubuntu itself offers 10 flavors with eight different desktops these days. Linux Mint offers three of those desktops, Cinnamon Mate and XFCE. Zorin OS offers just two, Gnome and XFCE. Linux Lite and Zinc, to pick two other examples we've looked at at, on the Ridge, uh, i.e. the register, both offer only XFCE. What's notable about Bodhi is that Moksha is not drawn from Ubuntu's range of options. It's it's the distro's own creation. It's a fork of the Enlightenment environment, which isn't an Ubuntu offering either. So there must be a reason for that. <laughs> apparently, Canonical doesn't like Enlightenment. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's the same reason. Like, wait, wait. wait, wait I got to make a joke first. I got to make okay. a joke. Is that does that mean that Canonical is unenlightened? <laughs> <laughs> They're living in the dark ages. <laughs> okay. So <what> <laughs> this is probably why they don't have black box or open box anymore either. Right. I kind of liked Enlightenment back in the day. I did too. I was a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think Mandrake had it, right? Well, Mandrake always had Enlightenment as kind of their default go to. Mm. I think probably. there was another one too that, that used it? Enlightenment a lot. So probably, uh, probably Gen 2. Cause I know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I remember using enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. I might have to give Bodhi with enlightenment a spin here. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, it's not like we can't test these things in five minutes with a virtual environment. So <laughs> yeah, you're not breaking anybody's hearts, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've even done a, uh, I think I've even done a yeah, Linux Hamshack readiness score on that just cause it's Ubuntu based, you know, it's, it's going to be the same. So it, uh, they don't really monkey around too much with the, uh, you being able to access the, uh, the various repos and stuff like that. So the packages and all that other stuff should, should sub- act similarly, you know, except for the example we did, what, just the other day on Dragon OS where, uh, you know, strangely CQR log runs with MySQL server without a problem. Well, I think there was still some uh, debate about whether that was true or not. <laughs> but, no, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll whatever. have to circle back to that eventually, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, what else what do we have after Bodhi? Okay. One more story uh, in the open source area. And I kind of just, uh, I was looking for a third to complement these two and I couldn't really find one. So I, I found this story and I, I thought it was an interesting, it's not really a story. It's a blog post. Uh, it's over on the uh, OSS fund news letter it's uh entitled a framework for open source evaluation uh it's an interesting uh post by bilgan ibram ibram 
and he outlines his opinion on evaluating open source projects. And um, let me just read the, the opening couple of paragraphs here. Uh, open source is everywhere, but it is so... But so is fake open source. Recently, there has been more and more cases of open source projects turning into non-open source at the same time. There are examples of non-open source, as per the OSI definition, projects building communities as if they are open source. How is that possible? Aren't open source projects supposed to remain so for life? Open source is not black and white. It has multiple dimensions of openness, transparency, collaboration, and trust. For some open source is any project on GitHub. For some of it, it has to pass the OSI definition. And for some, there there it has to comply with the underwritten but commonly accepted open source norms. Here, I'll share with you how I think about evaluating open source projects by looking at some of the business and technical aspects first, and then exploring the community management customs. So he goes on and uh, talks a little bit about uh, intellectual property as an as a component, licensing, governance, infrastructure, community and adoption, and and comes to some some interesting conclusions where you really need to take a look at the evaluation criteria varied based upon the project's importance to the organization, especially when you're taking you know looking at using a project for your project um, or for your product, uh, more importantly. And for critical and foundational projects, you'll want to establish a de facto open source standards. So as an organization uh, or even as a team, you want to establish exactly which components and how you want to define uh, bringing a component on board to your app uh, as so you don't end up with uh, something that becomes closed source at some point and then it's no longer uh, obviously com- compatible with your licensing and stuff like that but but anyway it's a it's a pretty interesting read and I, I suggest you take a look at it it's on the OSSF uh, OSS fund newsletter and of course it's linked in the show notes show notes and uh, yeah highly recommend just kind of perusing through it it's a it's an interesting perspective uh, from a stakeholder so yeah I think I think it'd be relative to some people that uh, listen to our show. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Actually, that reminded me of a podcast I used to listen to that I can't remember the name of it, but it had to do pretty much primarily with uh, open source and legal issues. Um, you know, it was all about like the legality of different applications and the, you know, copylefting and all that kind of stuff. I can't remember what it was called, but it was, it was really good. It was done by people in the, um, that organization that was all about open source, uh, like luring and stuff. Um, uh, if anybody remembers what that was, feel free to remind me because it's been, a few years. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I would love to have another podcast like that that talks about sort of, um, not necessarily legal issues, but, you know, things like the stuff mentioned in here, like, like, uh, you know, governance and, uh, intellectual property rights and, and things like that, that can, that can sometimes muddy the waters of open source. So, yeah, most definitely. All right. So we're moving on to the Linux in the Hamshack segment. This is not really Linux in the Hamshack, and it's not really a full segment because it's such a simple and incredibly powerful tool. I'm not going to give it the... the gravitas that it probably deserves because it's it's incredibly useful i mentioned it in the last episode when i was uh, using it to deploy dragon os on my computer but this is a utility and it was mentioned on the sh- in the general chat on the show i believe or maybe the technical chat so- somewhere on the discord uh, by bill n3aj and it's a utility called ventoy which 
at this point, I wish I had heard of it back whenever it was started, um, because it's an incredibly simple thing that is amazing. So let me read a little bit about what it is, and then I'll talk a little bit about what I did with it, which will take about 10 seconds, and then hopefully everybody who listens to this program will for an ever and ever, you know, going forward, use it. So Ventoy is an open source tool to create bootable USB drives for ISO, WIM, image, VHD, and EFI files. Well, gee, that sounds like something that's we've talked about before, like what, what's out there, Rufus, and um, what's the other big one? Uh, ben Benali image or something, or yeah, well, can't remember the hell it's called. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we've all and and you know you can do this by just a simple like DD command and stuff like that. So it's like why is why is this thing so much better than those things? Well, I'm going to tell you why. With Ventoy, you don't need to format the disk over and over. You just need to copy the image file to the USB drive and boot it directly. You can copy many files at a time, and Ventoy will give you a boot image to select as a screenshot, or it shows a screenshot as a, as a menu. Uh, you can also browse EFI files in local disks and boot them. Uh, x86 Legacy BIOS, IA32 UEFI, x86-64 UEFI, ARM-64 UEFI, and MIPS-64 EL UEFI are supported in the same way. Most types of OS support is available, including Windows, WinPE, Linux, Chrome OS, Unix, VMware, Zen, and more. So what this is, is you go to Ventoy uh, website and you download i think it's called the ventoy disk let me see there's a, there's a couple of different downloads um the the wikis or the frequently asked questions and in, in directions are, are really straightforward so let me see get started let me just make sure i'm right so the ventoy to disk executable which is on windows of course there's a linux one as well so what this does is it creates as you might expect a bootable usb drive however it doesn't boot anything but itself. So what you then do is if if you have the USB drive in the your you know your computer after you've installed Ventoy on it, it just pre- presents the disk as an empty disk and you're like, "Oh, okay." So then what you do is you take all of the ISO files, whether it's a Windows installer or an or an EFI file or an Ubuntu ISO or whatever, and you copy that onto the Ventoy disk, assuming you have room for it. And then you plug that into your computer and you do your boot as normal. And the USB drive boots into Ventoy. And then Ventoy presents a menu of all of the ISOs that are on it and allows you to select from any of them to do your install. And that is awesome. <laughs> and uh, I would highly recommend everybody use this. It's incredibly cool. It worked perfectly for me. Um, and... You know, the fact that it allows you to install from any kind of image file is really cool. So you just put the stuff that you want on your drive. You know, you get get yourself like a 128 gig USB drive and just put all of your install images on it. And then you never have to worry about using more than one or reformatting or anything else. So can you put a Windows ISO on there? You absolutely can. No way. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> How about a Mac OS uh, install? How about that? Huh? 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 Uh, that's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there. It doesn't do everything. <laughs> it, no, it didn't say it did everything, but it's it's a damn useful tool. So Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. That would save yeah, me a lot of time going around. It's like, oh, no, this is a Fedora one. Oh, this is a Nobara. Oh, this is... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And as long as you have a big enough USB drive, you can just put anything on it. Well, so. I'd rather just throw them all away and buy one big, you know, five yeah, big exactly. ones or something. 
<laughs> and then right. just have like right. this is the super disc. Super disc has everything. So yeah, I wish I had known about Ventoy a long time ago. Um, not sure how it escaped me, but thanks to Bill and 3AJ for mentioning it. And uh, if this is the kind of thing, especially if you're a big distro hopper or anything like that, or if you're just a person who has to install operating systems on stuff from time to time, you definitely want to be a Ventoy user. So a link to the website and everything will be in the show notes, and I highly recommend everybody check it out. Like I said, I'm not going to give it the love it probably deserves, but it's awesome. All right. Well, you know what? That's it. We're down to the bottom. No way. (laughs) <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> it's impossible uh, so let me go ahead and read the announcement that I have and then I'll let Bill cover the uh, media stuff Sweet. alright so my, my quick announcement is that I just noticed and it's obviously happened a little while back and no one bothered to tell me <laughs> but apparently recent updates to WordPress have broken the plugin that I used to use to create the members only uh, audio feed. So for those people who are subscribed to us using PayPal, that feed no longer works. And if you're a new subscriber via PayPal, you cannot use it that way either. Uh, I have not figured out a way to fix this. I am looking for a workaround or a new plugin. I haven't found anything yet. It may be a case of just hosting the feed somewhere else with a private URL and handing it out to people and saying, please don't share this, you know, kind of thing. But I will figure it out soon. But in the meantime, you'll just have to get your stuff through the regular feed. Or if you want to switch your pledge to Patreon, you can get the the uh, subscriber feed through Patreon because they have their own RSS feeds that way. And uh, that bypasses the issue. But it's a known problem, so I apologize for the inconvenience. Uh, but that, that plugin was last updated in like 2014 or something. So it was it was going to die eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get it fixed. We'll let everybody know. And uh, thanks for your continued support. So that's all I had. Do you have anything? Uh, nothing to add there. So we'll go right into new subscribers, new supporters, and live participants. Uh, the subscribers and Patreons for this time, uh, we do have one new one. That's John Stacy. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Facebook, we have Ronald Yoakum Sr., uh, Warren Eric. Rory Griffin, Jerry Dotson. On Twitter, we have at SWL Listener and at Sigmund 46221199. On Instagram, nobody. On Mastodon, we have at Pazimako and at DM5WK and at SM1ZCA, at KA1DBE and at D-L-H, I'm guessing. It could be a one. Right? It is, no, that's an L. Okay, just making sure. Because <laughs> if I put a one, it's sort of... Okay, yeah, the one definitely tilted down. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> just making sure on the font. Uh, anyway, uh, YouTube, we have Bjorn Broman. Uh, over on the mailing list, we have uh, November Oscar 7 Echo joined us there. Thank you. On Discord, we had Worm Food and Chungalda. Chungalda join us and in the live chat for this evening's recording we have ted wa zero eir darren vk six ek steve ka seven hvt stacy kb seven ys winston kd two wll and mike k six gte all right that does get through the all of those lists it does get us down to the end of our topics and the end of our program so I want to thank everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed this short topics episode. Please join us next week when we'll have a weekender. 
where we dive into the random topic generator and all sorts of hedonism. So that should be a good one. Check that out. And in the meantime, we hope everybody has a great week. And thanks to everybody who listens, whether you're a subscriber or just a listener, we appreciate each and every one of you. And we'll talk to you all very, very soon. For the absent, Cheryl, W5MOO, this is Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Yeah, that, that came out weird. So. <laughs> it did. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Not not your fault at all. <laughs> yeah, your your timing was weird and it just like messed me up. <laughs> all right, and I'm definitely leaving all this in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine. 547-7469 Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Hedonism.